Um, our reading today is taken from Joshua 1, verses 1 to 11. <clears throat> After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land. The Lord your God is giving you for your own. Well, we are, uh, if you haven't been with us the last few weeks, we're in a six-week series. Uh, we started with creation and we're going to end with Christ. Uh, we call it God's story, and in six weeks, we're covering the entire Old Testament and most of the Gospels. So um, strap in again, and we're going to cover a little bit of ground today uh, as we go through this series. So we, we started... Uh, two weeks ago, talking about God, the God of creation, a God who spoke everything into order and into being. And, uh, and we looked at, um, in the midst of creation, uh, he established humanity, Adam and Eve and humankind. And uh, he formed us and fashioned us in his own image. And this amazing thing that he says that he set us to be humanity, to be rulers, to have authority, to have sort of kingly um, rulership and authority over the earth, over this piece of his creation. And uh, we looked, though, that quickly um, we chose sin and disobedience to the one thing God commanded, and, uh, and that threw things into chaos. And, and then last week, Andy was speaking with us and talking about... Um, the call of out of the midst of, of, of the people of the earth, then God called this man Abraham, called him to be his own and, to, and, and gave him a series of promises. And, uh, and, and I just want to sort of go back to, to that today as the sort of springboard um, for what we're going to talk about today. 
It was these promises that God made to Abraham, really three promises. There's lots of things that God said to Abraham, but I want to sort of highlight three promises to begin with that God gave to Abraham. The first is that he told Abraham that he would make him the father of many nations. In particular, that there would be one nation that, one, that would come not just from Abraham, but then it would, came from Isaac and then ultimately Jacob, who became Israel. That God would form a people for himself on the face of the earth. And so uh, what we've been watching and seeing in, in last week is that really a period of, uh, of about 500 years that God was in uh, fulfilling that promise to Abraham in creating and, and making a nation and a people for himself. 500 years. They were first sort of identified as, as people who were, that followed the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's how they, how they understood themselves. That their, was their identity. It was really sort of the only sort of, it was a familial identity. We are a people and we follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that's what they knew. But then last week we saw that um, they had been taken into slavery and, and they were, um, uh, found themselves in slavery in Egypt. And God shows up and delivered them out of slavery delivered them out of Egypt in a place of bondage, and they began to have a further sense of identity. Their identity is always wrapped in their relationship with God. They were first the people of, that served the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then they became the people who served the God who delivers us out of bondage, out of slavery, and into a place of freedom. And for 500 years, God was at work creating people and beginning to give them an identity as a people and as a nation. And today we're picking up with a second promise that God gave, and that is that they would also have a place, that they would have a place to call home. They were 500 years as a people without a, a nation, without ever having a home or a place. But that, that sort of no, was no surprise to God because this is actually what God had told Abraham back in the beginning when he promised to give them a place. He said this in Genesis 15. The Lord said to Abraham, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land and take possession of it. Some other things happen and he goes on. Then the Lord said to him, know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own, and that they will be enslaved and ill-treated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. The second promise that God gave to Abraham was that he would give his people a land, a place. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. There's a third promise, though, that God gave to Abraham. And that was that out from his descendants, that his descendants would be a blessing to the nations of the world, that they weren't there just to exist for themselves, but they were there indeed to be a blessing to the nations of the world. Specifically, though, in that promise is, is a link that we go all the way back from creation when, when Eve and Adam were uh, suffering the consequences of their sin, but God gave them a promise that out from the descendants of Eve, somebody would arise who would defeat Satan, who would, the image was that would crush the head of 
of, of the snake, of Satan. And here we have that same sort of promise picked up into Abraham that out of his people, out of this people that God's calling, there would come redemption. There would come, a, there would be a blessing for the whole world. And so today we, we're seeing God's people begin to come to this place that they were promised. The land of Canaan. And, uh, and it's in the book of Joshua where you see this. Joshua, Moses has died. Moses has died in the desert. And now Joshua, who is his assistant, now has come to the forefront. And he has been the one now called to lead God's people into this new land. And, and so as they come to the land, the, the first thing that happens is they have a river to cross. They have a way, a place they have to, there's a river between the wilderness where they are and the place they've got to go. And in sort of this bookend to what we were reading last week is we have God delivering God's people out of Egypt and through the Red Sea and parting the Red Sea and taking them into the wilderness. And now we have the Jordan River that's parted as God's people make their way in to the promised land. Here's the amazing thing to me about this land and about this thing with God. Not only had he promised it, but now that the time has come for it to be fulfilled, God doesn't just hand them the land. He doesn't just say, here it is. Walk in. No, he actually invites their participation in the taking of the land. In fact, he says it this way. He uses the word, he tells Joshua that every place your foot steps as you go into the land, it will be yours. See that sense of participation? Every time you step, you're going to be taking and walking into what I have for you. And so that happens right there at the Jordan River. Remember Moses had sort of held up the staff and the river, you know, and the, and the Red Sea had parted. Well, here we have God say to the people, they said, guess what? I'm not going to part the river until you, what, step into the river. And they literally had to put their feet in the river at f- sort of flood stage. <laughs> and all of a sudden, the water began to be held up. And a, and, a, and a path was made across because God is saying to his people, I want you to participate with me in the taking of this place, in the receiving of the promise that I have for you. There's participation. And so they cross the Jordan River and they uh, make their way into the promised land. And then this amazing thing happens. Read it and uh, I'll read it to you from uh, chapter Chapter 5 of, of Joshua. They've come into across the Jordan River. They've entered into the land, and, and, but, but yet they've yet to take anything. They're just there. And they're standing outside the city of Jericho, and, and they're sort of been given this plan by God for how to take Jericho, and it seems a bit ridiculous, but this happens in, in Joshua 5. It says, Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him, with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or are you for our enemies? Seems a pretty fair question to ask, right? Giant guy there, sword drawn. Wait a minute, are you on my side or not? (laughs) Whose side are you on? 
Verse 14, though, he says, neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Good question. Whose side are you on? Joshua asked this mighty warrior. I'm not on anybody's side. I'm not on your side. I'm not on your enemy's side. Joshua had asked the wrong question. (laughs) The real question was, whose side was Joshua on? Because this was the army, the, the commander of the army of God's hosts. The only side he's ever on is God's side. And the question to Joshua and to the people is, whose side are you on? And Joshua knew in that moment, this is it. This is the defining moment. And so Joshua falls on his face and takes off his sandals because this is holy ground. So in this invitation now, they begin to go in and take uh, Jericho. A strange battle plan, if ever there was one. I don't think there's probably ever been a general in all of history who ever followed the same battle plan that Joshua had and was given by the Lord. March around the city for seven days, and on the seventh day, march around seven times, and then blow some trumpets, and then it'll all be yours. He makes a great song, actually, by the way. But that's exactly what happens. The walls come down, and They go in and they take the city. Now there's an interesting thing though is they take uh, Jericho because in the story about them taking Jericho, there's, there's a lady by the name of Rahab. She lives in Jericho. And, and when they were spying out Jericho, trying to see, look at its strongholds and its defenses, some spies had gone into the city and, um, and they had stayed with Rahab, because, well, Rahab sort of was in the hospitality industry, shall we say. Full-service hospitality industry. Rahab was a harlot. That was the place where they'd stayed. And Rahab identified something about these people, and, and she aligned them herself with the spies that were coming to take her city. And she was told that if she would not fight, if she would help them and assist, that she would be protected and kept. And lo and behold, she does. She goes along with God's plan. She helps them and she participates in in them taking the city. And so she finds herself on God's side, aligning herself in the same way Joshua was (laughs) given that opportunity to align with God's side. Now, one of the things about Rahab is you're familiar maybe with Rahab because we usually sort of mention her during Advent of each year when we recount the lineage of Jesus. Because as we're talking about this promise of God's fulfillment of somebody to come and be a savior, so the Messiah, this promised Messiah, it is Rahab who enters into the lineage of Jesus. There's another person in this later on in the story that we're not going to talk about today, but Ruth is another one of those. Somebody who's not Jewish, who's not from the nations of Israel, outside foreigners who enter into 
the lineage of Jesus, which I think should say something to us about it. That this is not so much about ethnicity and nationalistic sorts of things. This is all about alignment with God, alignment with his purposes, finding ourselves aligned and cooperating with what God's doing. And Rahab becomes part of the lineage of Jesus, an outsider, a harlot. So the people come in, they take in, uh, the, they go from, uh, from uh, Jericho, and, and the next thing we know, they're coming to Ai, the next city, and it seemed like Jericho was so easy, and they go to Ai, and they get there, and they're immediately defeated, and they find out, actually, this, just they face an un- unbelievable defeat when they go to take this city, and it's like, what's happened? And they find out that actually somebody in the crowd, a guy by the name of Achan, he He's disobeyed the Lord. He was, everybody was told not to take anything from Jericho with them. No spoils. They didn't get to keep any spoils from Jericho. But Achan had chosen to take some things and bury them in his tent. And because of that disobedience, the whole nation suffered because they were not walking in obedience. And so they would face defeat at Ai. And so they deal with the sin, that sin that Achan had committed, and, and the next thing you know, they go in and they easily defeat Ai and they take the city. And they begin to just go all throughout the land and defeat the kings who were there as they walk in obedience to the Lord. By the time we get to, you know, a little further down in the book of uh, Joshua, 31 kings have been destroyed and taken away, dethroned. 31 nil, that's a pretty good record. (laughs) And God's people have entered into the land by participating with God. And so God then divides up the land between them and he sets them and each tribe gets their own place and their own settlement in the land. But then God also gives them these things called, he assigns these places called cities of refuge. That in, all throughout the territory, there would be these places, these cities that would be there for somebody when, if somebody was died or accidentally died or potential murderer or anything like that, whether they were Jewish or Israelites or not Israelites, even if they were foreigners, if something happened and they needed a place of safety to go to ensure that justice would be done, that there would not be misunderstood, they could go to one of these places of safety and these sanctuary cities, and, and those were set up all throughout the land so that there would be places of sanctuary to ensure that justice would take place, to ensure that they were given a fair hearing, to ensure that vengeance wasn't just taken on them without opportunity for things to be worked through. And so God set these places of refuge all throughout the land. Well, that's the land. But there's also the legacy part. God's people now are coming to understand that this God who, this God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this God who brought them out of slavery and out of bondage and set them free, they're beginning to understand very clearly that he is a God who fulfills his promises. For 500 years, they waited for this promise to be fulfilled. And yet, finally, they were there. They were in the land. 
That's who this God is, a God who fulfills promises. The other part of that legacy, though, is that the nations of the world around them begin to clearly recognize that God was with these people, that there was something different about the God of Israel, that when they were in alignment with his plans and purposes, the nations of the world needed to get out of the way because it was going to be accomplished. And the fame of God and who he was and that he had a people and that he was at work began to spread through the nations of the world. There's something different going on here than in other nations. There's something unique happening. Well, as Joshua is about ready to uh, depart and just before he dies, he gathers the people together and recounts with them and says, you know, what God has done. And he says to the people, choose, choose today who you're going to serve. It's my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And the people of the nation stand up, yes, us too. God, Joshua says, well, not so fast. <laughs> not so guaranteed that you're going to do that. I mean, I like the, I like the enthusiasm, but just be warned. It, it might not always be like that. So do you really mean this? Yes. But then we move into Judges. We won't spend long in Judges other than to say this. After taking the land and possessing it, people find themselves in, in a cycle, a cycle of disobedience, a pattern of sin. Is what happens now that they've come into the land, what they begin to actually sort of disregard all the things that God has done for them. And, and it says in Judges, twice it says in Judges, that, that everybody did, there was no king in the land, and everybody did what was right in their own eyes. In other words, everybody was living selfishly. <laughs> and self, out of selfishness and selfish living, they would find themselves once again occupied by the very nations that they had driven out and the people that were around them. And then God would raise up somebody who would obey him and would hear his voice and they would, they would deliver the people out of that bondage and out of that oppression from, from their neighbors and sort of restore order to the land. And guess what? People would go right back to doing their own thing, finding that their neighbors had invaded them again and God brings another deliverer. And then they go back to selfish behavior and then occupation and then deliver. And then they go back to sinful behavior and occupation and deliver. And then they, do you get the idea? Or do I need to keep going? <laughs> time after time, we just see that repeated throughout the book of Judges. And that's kind of where we're going to end today. And pick up next week as God's people are trapped in this cycle of sin and occupation and needing a deliverer. Sin, occupation, and needing a deliverer. But I want to jump back to one last thing. Three burials that take place at the end of the book of Joshua. 
As Joshua dies, that mentions at the very end in chapter 24 of Joshua, says that there are three, three, three people that were buried. The first is Joseph. Joseph, the very first one who had gone down to Egypt, the one who was sent to deliver God's people from famine and provide for them in the land of Egypt. Joseph had asked that, please don't leave my bones here. Take them back up when you go into that promised land. When we leave this place, Joseph said, take me with you. And so at the end of the book of Joshua, we read that not only had they brought the bones of Joseph back, but they had buried him in the land of promise. Then we have Joshua himself is buried. Joshua had been born in Egypt. Joshua had been by Moses' side all through the desert, all through the exile, and he then had come in and conquered the land, and he too is buried there. And then there's a third guy, third man, Eleazar. Eleazar the priest. This is Aaron the, pre, the first high priest. This is his son, Eleazar. Eleazar was born in Egypt too. He was a young child probably when they came out of Egypt and lived and served in the land in, in, under his father. And when his father, Aaron, died, he was made high priest. And he was the high priest as they came in and took the land. And so here we have these three men who all had their roots back in the time of bondage and of slavery and in Egypt. And yet they had seen the fulfillment of God's promise and were buried in the place of promise in the promised land. I think we can take courage in that today because we serve a God who fulfills his promises. As Jean-Luc said earlier, he is the one whose promises are yes and amen. And not to, you know, give you too much of a spoiler, but we're going to see the third promise fulfilled as well before we get finished with this series of a deliverer for the nations. So let me just end with these words of Joshua 1.9. Knowing that God is the ultimate promise keeper, be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He's the same God, the one who keeps his promises, the one that invites us to participate with him in what he's doing. And as we align ourselves with him, we can know that wherever we go and whatever we do, in alignment with him, we find ourselves there with him and him with us. And we can be strong and courageous, whatever it is we face today and in the days ahead because of the God that we serve. Amen.